was quick. Tim's going to be speaking to us tonight. Is it okay if I pray, pray for you? Thanks, Jim. Yeah, God, we thank you so much for Jim, for the gifts that you've given him. And God, we just pray that you would fill him afresh with your spirit now as he comes to, to speak to us. So we just pray, come Holy Spirit. Amen. Good evening. Hope you're all well. Uh, like Matt says, my name's Jim. Um, I'm the vicar here. Um, it's just really good um, to sort of be back into the new term and on with the flow. Um, excuse the stage set. Um, what we wanted to do this term is have a real emphasis uh, as a church, as a whole community, right across our congregations, of what does it mean to be a community that's home, not just for us, but for anyone and everyone. So um, in the mornings, we're, we're doing a series, Come and Eat. Uh, where we're looking through Luke's gospel and the different meals that Jesus was at and what we can learn from those meals. Jesus was always eating or going to a meal, coming from a meal in Luke's gospel. It tells us an awful lot. There's a reason Luke talks about meals. But anyway, this e in the evening service instead, what we're going to do, we're going to be looking at this passage, which is uh, one probably of uh, the greatest, well, the greatest sermon ever written. Uh, it was one of Jesus' first teachings. Uh, and so we're going to dive into uh, this passage. And actually, in a roundabout way, although it, Jesus isn't eating at this point, actually what we see as he eats all these meals and what we see in Luke's gospel is, is Jesus demonstrating and enacting what we're going to be talking about in the Beatitudes. So the two are linked, and that's just a really tenuous reason and excuse for not getting rid of this between the morning and evening services. So there we go. But I hope you've had a good afternoon. Um, mine's been spent chasing after my daughter. Uh, he texted me about 2 o'clock to say she thinks she's got a flat tyre. Um, what does she do? Uh, so this afternoon I got a lift uh, along with a small tool bag to go and have a look at her um, car. It turns out it did have a small puncture. I suspect it's been there for a few days. Um, and consequently the tyre was a bit flat. And so in order... Uh, to get it home. It's one of these cars that hasn't got a spare tyre. It's just got this kind of can of goo that you're meant to sort of squirt into the valve and that should just be enough to fix the tyre to get you home. You're meant to put this like physical substance inside the tyre uh, and it, but it's not meant to be like a, a total solution. It's like to get you to the garage and, and then you need to get your puncture fixed, restore the tyre, pump in loads of air and you're good to go again. You're not really meant to go over 40 miles an hour. Apparently 60 miles an hour is fine though, uh, which, is, which is great. Um, <laughs> Had to get here for this. Uh, so my point is, it's a temporary fix. What I've done to that tire was a temporary fix. Uh, and what it actually needs, though, is a restored tire full of air, not a slightly faulty tire full of some weird physical substance. And this evening, we're beginning a series looking at Jesus' first recorded teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And in particular, the words that he kicks that off with the Beatitudes. And if I was to sum up what the Beatitudes kind of say in one phrase, it might be this. You cannot fill a spiritual need with a physical substance. It won't ultimately work. It hasn't got longevity. It may just about help you go down the road a little bit or feel like you're going down the road a little bit, but ultimately it doesn't fix anything. You can't fill a spiritual need with physical stuff. And in the same way, that tie was temporary fixed. It's a patch job, and ultimately, it's unsatisfactory. I do wonder whether we can live our life going through a series of patch jobs, which ultimately, while they might get us down the road, deep down, we know, we sense, are unsatisfactory. We often live 
our lives, don't we? Trying to fill a spiritual need uh, with physical substance, be it possessions, money, sex. Not things that in and of themselves are bad. God created them all. They're neutral. But if we look to them to fulfill what is a spiritual need, then ultimately they're deeply unsatisfying. And these nine short statements that we've heard read in the Beatitudes, I encourage you to get your Bibles out and have them in front of you, Matthew 5. These nine short sentences then, I think, do nothing less than actually hold the key to satisfaction, joy, happiness, purpose, meaning, contentment, peace, and so on and so on. When someone says to you, what is the gospel? I don't know how you reply, but a really good answer to what is the gospel would be to read these nine things. This is the gospel. Now let's just do a quick poll. Who can honestly say they're 100% satisfied? Anyone? Who can say they're 100% full of joy? And it was, if you are, that is great, by the way. Uh, 100% happy? 100% with a compelling sense of purpose, meaning? 100% fully content and full of peace? Anyone? Nope. Not a surprise. Now, I genuinely know when I begin to feel some of those things, contentment and joy and happiness and purpose, which I do sometimes feel, I know there's a correlation that the closest I'm walking with Jesus, the closer I'm walking with Jesus, the more I will live the reality and experience the reality of those things. Conversely, when I notice an absence of those things in my life, it's usually actually because I'm not really walking as closely with Jesus as I might. And I suggest the same will be true for you. Now, if we read these nine Beatitudes. At first, it doesn't really make sense. Blessed are you if you're poor. Happy are you if you're mourning. That sounds like an oxymoron. It's really good to be persecuted. It kind of sounds odd. It kind of sounds like a manifesto for masochists, to be honest. But this evening, before we head into looking at each one, which we'll do through this term, I want to just spend a bit of time camping out on just this idea of blessed are. Each phrase starts with blessed are. And I just want to dig into that a little bit because that will give us the context. I run out of breath there. Trying to fill it with physical stuff rather than air. That's the problem. I'll just take a moment. We're going to look at this idea of blessed are. Blessed are. Because that will set the context when we go through all these other statements. So, if in front of you, you didn't have the NIV Bibles or whatever you've got on your phone, if in fact you were reading the authorized version of the Bible, you would see that each time it says blessed are, the word are is in italics. Now, in the authorized version, whenever you see a word in italics, it's there in italics because it tells you it's not in the original text. It's like as we've translated it into English, there isn't really an equivalent word to what's in the Greek, and so we stick in an extra word to kind of give it a meaning. So the fact that R is in italics gives us a bit of a clue to what the Beatitudes are. There is no verb in the Beatitudes. In the original text, there is no R. These statements aren't verbs. There is no R. The Beatitudes, you see, aren't a commandment to do anything. They're not telling you that you need to live 
like this. This isn't a checklist for how we're to behave in order to receive joy and happiness. It would be odd, in fact, if we were to take them like commands. Go out and look for persecution. Try to put yourself in a position of mourning. If they're verbs, it doesn't really work. So what are they? Well, instead, then, these are, in fact, divine promises showcasing the nature of the kingdom of God. These are divine promises showcasing the nature of the kingdom of God and what the characteristics of God's people are. It's saying that when you know Jesus, this is how you will experience life. You'll know joy, contentment, peace, blessedness as you live out a Christ-shaped life in whatever external situations are going on around you. With me so far. Now, if we go from Greek, go from this idea of blessed are, and if we go into Aramaic, which was the tongue that Jesus spoke, in Aramaic they had a very common kind of expression, which here uh, Matthew has translated as blessed are. So from Aramaic, if we were to translate it more literally, that, that phrase blessed are would more literally be translated, oh, the blessedness of. So if someone could just turn to Psalm 1 verse 1. Go. Psalm 1 verse 1. And shout it out. Middle of the Bible. Open up in the middle. You should be rough. Psalm 1 verse 1. Thank you very much, Sarah Ward. Brilliant. Here how it starts. Blessed is or blessed are. Again, literally translated, that means, oh, the blessedness of. And so we'll see in the Psalms, we see all the way through the Old Testament, this phrase, blessed are, or more accurately, oh, the blessedness of, is a regularly repeated thing. So when Jesus picks up on it in the New Testament, he's diving right back into the tradition, into the Old Testament. And it's usually when Jesus does that, it's because he wants to take what was old and subvert it. And communicate something new. So that should have us uh, on tenterhooks ready. Oh, the blessedness of. So the Beatitudes then are not commandments. And they're more than simple statements. They are, in fact, exclamations. They should have massive exclamation marks at the end of them. It should say something like, wow, that blessedness I know in Jesus when I'm poor in spirit. Mmm, smell that blessed fragrance when I'm mourning. Man alive, I may be persecuted, but I'm so blown away by the love and forgiveness of Jesus. I am so crazily blessed. That's the kind of idea of what's going on here. And this means they're not some sort of religious hopes of what shall be one day that we can put on our fridge magnet while we wait, but they're congratulations on what is our current reality. Congratulations on the life that we're leading now. It's a blessedness that exists for you and for me here and now. It's something that we're promised unfettered access to, and you all look really happy about that fact. Sure, there's even more to come, but in effect, the Beatitudes summed up as saying, being a Christian is absolute bliss. There is sheer joy to experience in following Jesus. Even as I say those words, are oh, the bliss 
of knowing Jesus as Christ my Lord. The blessedness of being a Christian. I wonder what's going on in your head. I wonder what's going on in your heart. I wonder what's going on in your soul, you, as you hear that. Maybe there's a kind of amen rising and you're like, absolutely. Maybe there's something really that sort of jars. And you're like, oh, that's not really my current reality. What's that about? Maybe for some of you, there's almost this resentment, resentment sort of building that I kind of, that's what I want, but I don't get it. Hold on to those. We'll come back to them in ministry. But that is the promise. That is to be our experience. The joy, the unbridled joy of what it is to be a Christian. To know that we're saved by the blood of Jesus and welcomed into a full, restored relationship with him. Now, let's keep with this word blessed. It can, and some versions can, it can, and some versions do indeed translate it as happy. Happy are those who mourn. That kind of gets to it because joy and blessedness, kind of happy is not a bad thing, right? But the problem with happy is that if you look at its root word, it's a Latin word, the root of the word happy is hap, which means chance. So happiness ultimately is down to chance. Happiness, our happiness can be affected by what happens tomorrow or what happens as I walk out of this building tonight or, or the circumstances around me. They can affect my happiness. Whereas what this is talking about is joy. The Beatitudes speak of the deep, deep joy. That regardless of what's going on around us, we still feel so blessed. We're still so thrilled and blown away that God loves us. Actually, that joy rises up. Still with me? Good. Let's do a bit of Greek. So in Greek, which is the language that Matthew is writing in, the word from which we translate blessed is the Greek word makarios. Is there anybody who speaks Greek? Makarios. It's a fascinating word, actually, if we, trans, if we trace some of its history. This word, makarios, blessed. So originally, this word, makarios, blessed, was used of the Greek gods. The Greek gods were the blessed ones. Makarios, the blessed ones. They had achieved a state of happiness and contentment in life that was beyond all cares, labors, and even death. The blessed ones, the gods, were the ones who lived in some other world far away from all the cares and problems and worries of ordinary people. So to be blessed, you had to be a god. Now as time went on, this word also came to include the idea that this blessedness was possible for humans through death. Because then you would be with the gods. So the blessed ones then became humans who through death had reached the other world of the gods. Who were now beyond all cares and problems and worries of earthly life. So good news. To be blessed, you didn't have to be a god. You just had to be dead. Not great, is it? As time went on a bit more, the word then came to be used for the elite in society. It referred to people whose wealth and riches and power put them above the normal cares and problems and worries of the lesser folk who consistently struggled and worried and labored in life. 
And so to be blessed, you either needed to be a god, dead, or rich and powerful. So when Jesus comes and he says, blessed are, when Matthew writes and takes that word and puts that into this text, he says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. Can you see what an impact that would have had? As people read this text, as people heard Jesus' word, can you see how upside down that turned everything that had gone before it. These aren't meant to be nice words that we put on a card to our grandma. These, I've never done that, don't know why I said it. Uh, these are meant to be words that blow our minds and our hearts and turn our whole way of thinking and understanding of the world upside down. And even today, it can feel like our circumstances, identity, previous choices we've made exclude us from a blessed life. But with these strange blessings, Jesus announces that for you, for me, whatever's gone on, whatever's in our past, whatever situations we're in, that a thriving life under God's care is available to you. Whatever your story, whatever your struggle, whatever your situation. Now, I'm just going to take this idea of blessed one final step further and hopefully let God blow our minds a little bit more. You see, this word blessed is used, as we've said, lots of times in the Bible. In fact, lots of times it's used to speak about God. So if someone could just read out Psalm 119 verse 2, that would be very helpful. It's a dodgy version now, I don't know what it was. Anyway, I've got the wrong reference. <coughs> nice tear takes. Yeah. That's wrong as well. Don't know what I've done. Anyway, there's <laughs> it's my fault. I've written down the wrong verse. There's lots of verses, go home, check them, where it talks about blessed is God, or blessing is due to God, or we bless God, or blessed be his name forever. There's lots of times, that isn't one of them, but there's lots of times, <laughs> who snorted there? <laughs> I mean, it's exciting, but goodness. There's lots of times when people speak about God, God himself as being blessed. And then two times when they speak of Jesus being blessed. So if someone could turn to 1 Timothy 6.15, and I hope this one is the right one. 1 Timothy 6.15, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Roman, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Go on, Josh. Is that, have I got the wrong verse again? 6.15. God the blessed and the King of kings and Lord of lords. That verse there is speaking 
about Jesus. And so not only is God do we hear about as blessed, but Jesus too, one of the things said about him is he is blessed. And this is really important because whatever this blessedness is, this state of bliss, of joy, of contentment, of peace, however we want to describe it, it is true of God. That means it's part of the character of God. It's who he is. And that means it's something we need to take a step further. If whatever this blessedness is, it's true of God and it's true of Christ, then the only way to ever experience it fully, the only ones who can experience that fullness, what it means to be blessed, are those who partake of God and partake of Christ. There's no blessedness apart from that. But Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.4 that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, watch this, are partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers of the divine nature. Because of that, because of what Jesus did on the cross, that means we can now uh, partake in the divine nature of Jesus. We can know the same bliss, the same inner state of contentment, the same joy deep down within us that is known by God and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's the depth and the richness of what this is talking about. And it's accessible and it's possible to have now. Or look at it like this. We're thinking a lot, aren't we, at the moment about kings and kingdoms. Now, if you turn to the last words in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, the last little kind of verse there, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it ends by talking about a curse. Ends by talking about a curse. As we come into the New Testament, the first teaching that we hear from the mouth of the new king isn't a curse, but it's a blessing. The old covenant, the old testament, the old king, Adam, if you like, finishes talking about curse. As we come into the New Testament, the new king, the new kingdom, suddenly we're hearing about blessing. Blessing with the potential of the very character and nature of God indwelling the believer. So that there would be a blessedness that is only true of God himself. That's what Jesus comes to do. There is a new king. And if we go right to the end of the New Testament and look at uh, Revelation 22, 23. Whereas the Old Testament finishes speaking about a curse and saying... If, if someone doesn't come and sort this out, there's going to be a curse in the land. What we see at the end of Revelation, the end of this new covenant, after the new kingdom has come and the new king has died and risen again. What we read in Revelation 22.3 is there is no curse. There is no curse. The Sermon on the Mount is the great statement of the king as he opens his mouth and speaks blessing instead of cursing for those who desire it. That's the general biblical context in which this sermon 
is delivered. It's the announcement of a new age, a new king, a new message. So that's the word blessed. And I said these were exclamations and celebrations of what is and not commandments for how to live. And that's true. But what we will find the more is that the more we partake in that relationship with Jesus, the more we will draw near to him, the more we will find ourselves experiencing living like he did. We'll discover that the way down is actually the way up. We'll discover that hunger and thirst are what leads to satisfaction. We'll discover that spiritual poverty will lead to a spiritual wealth. We'll discover that laughter is only possible through mourning. And we'll discover that having nothing is the only way to know everything. And so whilst there's celebrations, they're deeply, deeply challenging too. Because if I'm honest, I'd like to cut out some of those Beatitudes. I don't know which ones you'd want to drop from the list. Maybe the one about being persecuted. Maybe the one about mourning. And there's probably some I'd like to add as well. Blessed are the driven, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who are true to themselves, for they will find happiness. Or how about, blessed are the comfortable, for they will never have to sacrifice. And to borrow a line from someone called Kendrick Lamar, I think he's a rapper. (laughs) Blessed are the liars, for the truth can be awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. But the truth is, if we ever live as a community, if we ever live the Sermon on the Mount out, it will knock the world sideways. It's the greatest tool of evangelism there is to live this kind of life. His grace is irresistible. So much has been said about the Queen's life. I think so much of it is because she embodies this. She kind of looks down in in a good way. She kind of humbles herself. She takes great risks, actually, to make peace. She's an amazing woman, but only because she knows what it is to faithfully follow an amazing God. The Beatitudes are a shout of joy that is found in Jesus alone. And it says in John's Gospel, John 16, 22, that once we have that joy, no one can take it from us. So as we go through this series, if we really engage with it, I think we'll be challenged. I think our church will be challenged. And therefore, I think our workplaces, our universities, our friendship groups will all be changed. guess just to wrestle with that question this week. Can you say, oh, the blessedness of knowing Jesus. The blessedness it is to be a Christian, to live 
a life like that. Maybe just this week, think about that. Pray about that. Meditate on that. Ask the Spirit to come and fill you as we're going to do now.